hope for us. Well, you know, the kind of title of the series says it all, that we're all a desperate hope. Good morning, church. I'm Scott Weatherford. I should say shalom, y'all. We're uh, back from a great experience in Israel. Uh, Many people have asked me, said, how was your trip? And it's just, it's hard to describe a trip to the Holy Land. Uh, The skeptic in you dies at the historical, theological, and biblical evidence of Christ, life, death, burial, and resurrection. When you walk where Jesus walked and you you, you experience the thing Jesus experienced, eat the foods that Jesus ate, uh, it, it just overwhelms you, overwhelms you with the truth of the gospel, that Christ is really who he says he is. Now, one thing I said to our people on the tour with us, there were 26 of us, I said, remember, we do not worship the place. Now, we're in many places that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is where Jesus was. We are down in the, in the middle of Antonio's fortress. That's the fortification where Jesus was scourged and tortured. And we literally saw the place where they, they beat him and the game they played in order to do it. That's a whole other conversation. And then we saw the pavements, the Roman, original Roman street that led out to the Via Dolorosa that led to Calvary. We saw the place. We are absolutely in the place. But we do not worship the place. We worship the person, the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're reminded of them of that. Now, I was given a name while we were there by a tour guide, and this is what he called me. Anybody went on the trip that's here? What did they call me? Papa. Thank you. Papa. That was my name. So I'm now Pastor Papa. So uh, that was funny in the last two services. You guys must be sleeping or something. But uh, <laughs> it was pretty incredible, the trip, the experience. And, and Tara is the one who set up the details for this, my wife. And she's on it for the next trip. So you start talking to her. This is a trip of a lifetime. Every believer ought to go to Israel. Now, some of you are young people say, so, oh, I ain't going to go over here. It's where the old people go. No, this is a trip for everybody. So uh, yeah, there's a bunch of old people like me over there, but there's lots of excitement. So uh, plan to go, plan to go. Today, we're going to be continuing our series on hope for us because we need hope. Hope for our relationships. Hope for what God is going to do in us, for us, and through us. So we're going to focus now on the book of Ephesians. We have been. Let me remind you some things about the book of Ephesians. Paul wrote this to a very pagan culture, people that were living far away from God because they didn't know anything about God. They were, they were Greeks and they were living in a Greco-Roman culture. So they were living in that culture. So this is in the first three chapters of, of Ephesians, Paul is talking about what God has done for us through Christ. And the last half, the last four, three chapters, excuse me, four through six, he's talking about how we should live then because of what Christ has done. Now, I love Paul having this heart. It's like the, the apostle John. John was a pastor, and when he wrote his book, uh, John, he proved the deity of Christ, and then the epistles he wrote to prove how you live now all for Jesus because of this deity of Christ. Paul, in the same manner, is doing this. So you look at this, you go, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for our lives? And today we're going to talk about shifting your focus. God wants you to have, now get this, a Christocentric focus. Now, what in the world does that mean? That's a fancy word. It means a focus on Jesus. That our worldview, or the way we see things, is not shaped by being a conservative or a liberal. Not shaped by whether you watch Fox News or CNN. Because they both want to shape your focus towards their bent. And basically what they want you to do is spend money on their supporters. Uh, I had someone ask me, he said, 
While you were in Israel, oh, there was so much unrest and so much disturbance. Oh, 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 oh. It wasn't nothing, y'all. Nothing. We saw nothing. Israel or somebody blew up some stuff in Syria. No effect. Why? Because our media wants you to have a worldview based on their opinion. And God wants you to have a worldview based on him. The writer of Hebrews said it this way. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Now, I have something that'll help you with just a, a kind of a, a symbol. You know, here in Texas, we have all kinds of symbols. We have, what is this? Come on now, what is this? Guns up. No, it's not loser, okay? <laughs> Texas Tech, what's this? Hook of hordes. Oh, yeah. What's this? Whoop, yeah. Whoop, yeah. It's great. Uh, Aggie education produces those kind of noises. Okay. Uh, of course, what's this? That's the tomahawk chop for Florida State. Sorry, y'all so ignorant. My alma mater. This is the focus fox. Tara does this to me a lot. Focus. Lots of time when I'm preaching, I see the focus fox. I may need it today. Dan's ready with the focus box any second. There you go, right there it is. And see, this is what Christ wants for you. He wants you to have the focus box on him. He wants to change your focus. Yesterday, we had a wonderful experience that little Ivy, my granddaughter, turned three. And uh, we had a combination of Cinco de Mayo and Frozen birthday party. It was awesome. I felt compelled to let it go the whole afternoon. You're welcome. Okay. So she was, you know, we were talking, she was talking about you know, her birthday. Her, my daughter, Kayla, I asked her, I said, baby, what'd you like the best about your birthday? She said, well, the bouncy house. They had the biggest bouncy house known to man in their backyard. And it was a frozen castle. It was my, just monstrous. And she said, well, who'd you like most have been there? She said, Zoe, that was her little best friend from school. And she said, well, who else? She said, Papa Gigi. And that's Tara, me and Tara, and we're one person to her, which that's true. You know, wherever the Gigi is, I'm with Gigi. I, remember I told her if she left me, I was going to go with her. Yeah, that's just where <laughs> it's probably funnier the first time, not the 10,000th time. But anyway, Papa Gigi, she said, I love Papa Gigi with my whole heart. And it's like, what? You know, your BMW is on the way. <laughs> just love that little girl. Well, you know why I love that little girl? Because I love her mama. I'm her papa. I'm her papa and I love her. When our kids were little, both Caleb and Kayla, I love both of them actually. And um, <laughs> that's great admission. Um, some of your kids are easier to love than others, right? But don't point, no. Somebody going, no, okay, whatever. We love them all the same. But when they were little, I used to do this for them. I had the job of putting them to bed at night. And what I would do is I would tuck them into bed and I would pray for them. And then I would quote three scriptures over them. And we called it the blessing. And at the end of each scripture, I'd say in Jesus' name, and they would say, amen. And we did that all their growing up years, even when they were in high school. Even now, sometimes they don't want me to, they get it anyway. Because I'm Papa, I can do what I want to. And um, I, I do that with my little grandchildren. Little Lily, she's eight months. She's, she is a Weatherford baby. She is extroverted and brilliant. It's incredible. She's a Weatherford. 
take after Tara's side of the family, take after my side of the family. Anyway, so I, I just, I love them and I would bless them. Why did I do that? Because I wanted to change their perspective. I wanted them to know that their daddy loved them and that their God loved them. I wanted them to have a focus that was Christocentric. I didn't say to them, now kids, I want you to have a Christocentric focus. So we're going to say these scriptures to you and you're going to like shift your focus on Jesus and you're going to become great theologians. No, no, no. I loved them. And you, God has the same thing for you. He loves you. And he doesn't want to shift your focus out of legalism or denominationalism or any other kind of ism, but to know that you're loved by him. And what's amazing to me is that I'm a broken father. I make mistakes. I do things wrong. But somehow I know that I can give good gifts to my kids. Jesus said it this way in the book of Luke. He said, if then, even though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit or good gifts to those who ask him? That phrase to those who ask you is very, very powerful because what God says to you is this, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter where you've gone or what you've done or what you've become. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We sang something just a minute ago that I hope you got the theology of. Our our musicians, Dan and Andrea and Jonathan, when he's here, They're very intentional about pouring life into you through music. They said this, that I'm putting aside my shame and my guilt because we're the bride of Christ. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And why does he do this? Because he loves us and he wants to give good gifts to us. And he wants to be our papa. Or as it says in Romans 8, Abba, Daddy. God, and he wants to bless us. The life that Jesus offers you is not based on your self-righteousness because you have none. It's not based on your self-effort because you can't do enough to be right with God. In fact, your righteousness, according to scripture, is as filthy rags. See, the new life that Christ has for you is through relationship with him by allowing him to be your father. I bless my kids because they're my kids. And God blesses you because you're his kid and he's your father and he loves you. The hope that God has for you through this promise will change your life. It will change your focus if you choose to live all for Jesus. It will change you. Now this morning, we're going to dive into the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. And you're going, wow, that's a lot of scripture for you to cover in one time, Scott. How long will this take? It'll take as long as I need it to take. Y'all just relax. You ate a bunch of cookies and pigs in a blanket. You'll be all right. It won't take long, but we are definitely going to dive into this and find the truth that God has for us. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray, oh God, that you will open my mind and open my mouth to speak your words and to have your thoughts. And I pray that you will speak to us at the deepest place of our life and that will respond to you with Jesus, I'm yours. So thank you for what you're going to say and do in our lives. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Now go ahead and take, your, uh, take the weekend with you notes. There's several things in there, the notes that you can 
John along with us. Plus, there's readings for the rest of the week on the back of that. So it's in your bulletin. You can take that out and follow along with me. But before we get into this, I need to give you a little more background to help you understand why Paul was saying these things and how it applies to us today. The crowd or the church Paul was writing to was into what's called the shame and honor culture. They never wanted to be shamed and they all wanted to have great honor or esteem. They were not into being submission or to being submitted to one another. They were not into actions of love and they were not into being spiritually transformed. The Greek culture, you would never submit to anyone because that would be to be a base or push down. You wanted to elevate yourself. You wanted to be number one. You wanted to be a considered great, a great person of great honor and glory. Uh, their, their warriors thought that dying on the battlefield was great honor and great glory instead of dealing with the fact that they're dead. And for what reason? No reason except for a monarch's bellicose behavior. I was watching while we were in Israel. They had Fox News in Israel, by the way. They didn't have, uh, they had CNN and Sky News and BBC and Fox. And so we always watching Fox News. In Germany, they ain't got Fox News, y'all. Just let you know. Okay, anyway. Uh, we're there, but uh, anyway, uh, we were watching. I was watching this uh, this documentary on the Civil War, and it had a reenactment of the Battle of Gettysburg. And Robert E. Lee was having a conversation with General Longfellow, and of course, Robert E. Lee with the South, and Longfellow with the South as well. And Lee said to the Longfellow about a defeat they experienced during this, where many men were die- were killed. Robert Lee Lee said. You'll never understand the glory these men have gained on the battlefield this day. And Longfellow said, we will never fully comprehend the orphans and widows that were bought on the battlefield this day. That struck me that when I live for my vainglory, I create orphans and widows. But when I live for God's glory and my focus is shifted, I live for eternal significance. God wants to change my focus. Because that was their focus, they were driven by their pleasure. They never wanted to be shamed. They never wanted to be put down. In fact, Paul had to coin a word for humility because they didn't have a word for humility in the Greek language. He coined the word humilitas, which means setting aside your rights and privileges for the good of others. To think that God would die a shameful death on a cross for this culture was reprehensible for them and they could not understand it. But it was that act alone that turned the ancient world upside down. It's the counterintuitive movement of God that shows you this old life that you thought was so good has brought about a new life that is so great because Christ and knowing Christ changes the way we live and changes our focus. And here's the good news that we are partakers of the bliss of God. Because he shifted our focus, we're partakers of the bliss of God. Now, bliss is a strange word. I really don't have words to describe it, what it really feels. Bliss is more of an emotional expression. Like, you know this, like when I see my little granddaughters, like, yes, that's bliss. When they see me, it's yes, there's Papa, it's bliss. When I see Tara, yes, it's bliss. And when she sees me, it's, well, when I see her, it's yes, it's bliss. And so you get, and some of you that way, I see you go, yes, it's bliss. And some of you not so much, but it just works that way. It's the bliss of God. It's the bliss of God. And he, we get to live in the bliss of God. And that's the good news. And the better news is that this bliss is offered to all who will believe. 
that we could be a people of the bliss and live in that intentional living with the blessings of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we could be a people of the bliss, which becomes, well, irresistible to everyone. So Paul teaches us this pathway to hope. So let's walk down this pathway together uh, together, and, and look at the pitfalls and then embrace the goodness. So lead in and listen up, and here we go. Here's the first thing. It's the pathway to purity. Pathway to purity. Now, when I say purity, some of you think perfection, but that's not purity. Purity is not perfection. God doesn't want you to be pure, perfect. He wants you to belong to him. Let me read for you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. What? Now, this is coming after chapter four, when, when Paul says, forgive one another, speak the truth and love to one another, let every word that comes out of your mouth be for building up and not tearing down. And then he says, be imitators of God, therefore, in everything you do. I can't do that. That's right. You can't. But God can through you when you submit to him. Live a life, because you are dearly loved children, live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, as a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no impure, uh, immoral, or pure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. For a greedy person is idolater, worshiping the things of this world. And I'll read that and I go, dead gum. There's times when I'm greedy. There's times when I'm an idolater. I'm doomed. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. He says, I know you're this way, but I want to change you. I want to work in you. I've already forgiven you. I've already done what's necessary for you to be right with me. Now I want you to live in that right relationship. This is a higher calling to live like Christ, a Christ likeness, which we, that intimidates me. But God says, look, I'm so loving and I'm so good. I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not going to empower you to do. This, this year, actually this month, I'm celebrating my 37th year as a pastor. I've been a pastor all my adult life, basically, from the time I was two or three, I've been a pastor. <laughs> Whatever, I'll preach on lying next week to me. But I understand this, that God often, often, often asks me to do things I cannot do. But he never asked me to do things he cannot do. Now, I'm looking over this section of the room. I love you, you guys, you younger guys. And there's gonna be times in your life it's just gonna be too dadgum hard for you, but it's never too dadgum hard for God. Ever. With a shifted focus, life becomes rich in dependence upon him. Actually, God wants you to live your life in such a way that if he doesn't come through, you are doomed. And he is a come through God. He's never going to let, never going to let, never going to let me what? Down. It changes us. We can't do this on our own. But through Christ, I can do all things who strengthens me. Purity is not perfection. In fact, we have no righteousness. We have no purity. I can't live a life of fear of failure because I am a failure. I can't live a life of hoping I don't sin because I am the chief of sinners. But what I have is a God who loves me and brings me into relationship. So he covers me with his righteousness. He covers me with his purity. Covers me with his purity. How do I know that? 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he said, and God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us that we might be the righteous of God. And that state of being righteous of God. Purity is not perfection. Purity is Christ-likeness found in a relationship with him. Now, I'm into purity. Aren't you into purity? Would you like purity? Like when you eat something, don't you like it to be pure? Don't you? Did you know the FDA says that peanut butter, how many of you like peanut butter? Y'all like peanut butter? Raise your hand, like peanut butter. Okay, that's good. FDA says peanut butter is pure if it has less than 0.02% of rat feces in it. I don't know about you, but I prefer peanut butter with like 0% rat feces, right? So, you know, do you like it crunchy or smooth? Really? And so some of y'all are never eating peanut butter again, right? You, know, you say, oh, this is organic. Yeah, does that mean it has more rat poop in it? I don't know. <laughs> Just saying. I know it's more expensive. I guess rat dung is more expensive than not. But, but our measure of purity is different from God's measure of purity. And he knows we can't be pure. Y'all are laughing about the rat stuff, aren't you? Isn't it great? How does my mind come up with this stuff? I don't know. <laughs> I guess it's infested. Well, I don't want to be a pest and continue with that, so let's just move ahead. But the purity of forgiveness and love that brings the change of my life that God has given me is righteousness, so I must be intentional and live a life measured by love. Not legalism, not denominationalism, but love. By this all men will know you're my disciples, by your legalistic stance on doctrine and purity and the second coming. No, by love. By love. By love. My love for God, my love for you, my love for my kids, my love for my wife, my love for broken, fallen people in the world. Now look at this stuff, this list. Immorality, impurity, greed. This was common stuff in the Greek culture. In a Greco-Roman town, a city, you would go into the city, first thing you do is go to the bathhouse where you would bathe. And then when you bathe, you indulge yourself in sexual immorality. And you would leave her there and you'd go and sacrifice to a, a, an ancient God, a non-God, a false God. And then you would entertain yourself with a theater play, perhaps, that would have a, a public sex act at the end of it. Either whatever kind of perversion you can name, it would be displayed on the stage. That's where we get our word pornographic from, porneia, from, uh, from the Greek culture. And this is just part of their life. It's normative. And Christ comes in, he turns it all around. He turns it all around. And see, the same as today, we get focused on different things and we listen, learn to focus on Christ. We focus on our lust and our desires and our pleasures instead of focus on Christ. Then it comes down a little further. Like you say, okay, I'm not going to go to the bathhouse and do that or I'm not going to go to the playhouse and do this. But what I am going to do is I'm going to gauge my mouth in words and talk that's not fitting for me as a Christ follower, I'm, I'm going to display with my mouth that our words display the content of our heart. And so when we allow coarse words and crude jokes to become our normal pattern, we begin the erosion of our heart and the contamination of our life. So I read this and I fall under conviction. You see, I played baseball growing up. I would have played Major League Baseball had it not been for talent. I want you guys to know that right up front. That was funny too. And uh, three things baseball players do very well. They spit, they scratch, 
and they cuss. And to change the pattern of my speech was very, very difficult. I could not change the pattern of my speech without changing the content of my heart. Now, I want to say this. and I'm going to brag on my wife a little bit. We've been married 37 years this summer. And we, we've been you know, a dating couple since, well, a little longer than that. We started dating in, uh, in 1980. That's a long time ago. I have never heard my wife ever, ever use a, ba- use a bad word. I've given her lots of reasons to cuss me. Never, ever. Why? Because the content of her heart is displayed by the words of her mouth. And do you know what she does for me? She becomes the gatekeeper of my mouth. Even of my tone. I know some of y'all think, well, she needs to do a better job. (laughs) She's trying, y'all. But here's the deal, y'all. This is the stuff that God wants me to be changed by him. That my character becomes Christ-like. Paul is saying that your behavior and your words, they matter. So what are you doing and what should you be doing? What are you saying? What should you be saying? One of the most dangerous places to be in the world is to be in a culture that's Christian and you miss Jesus. And all you do is become churchified and not sanctified. There's a country song. Do y'all, any of y'all listen to country music? I listen to country music. I know you kind of shame me. Raise your hand. Yes, and, that, and Gaither as well. Yeah, and Hillsong as well. Okay, I, I like country music. This country music song I heard the other day said, this old boy is talking about how he loved this girl. I love this girl. She goes to church on Sunday and she cusses like the devil on Monday. (laughs) That's admirable. But see, that is our skewed view of churchianity as opposed to Christianity. Of letting Christ move in our hearts and change our lives. When we're exposed to the gospel and not changed by the gospel, then our behaviors reflect the content of our heart and shows that we have a divided focus. A changed heart produces a changed life, not vice versa. You can't good your way into this. Jesus has to save you into this. It's the pathway of wisdom. So be careful how you live. Don't live like a fool. (laughs) That's good advice. Be like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what God wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because it'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Why do you think we sing in church, y'all? When we gather as a church? Why do we, why do you say? Because we want to unify ourselves around music. Music is not worship. It's a way of worshiping and it's important. We sang songs today with great truth that unified our hearts. That's what God wants to do, to remind ourselves of this. You know, a lot of times we'll sing a a song together in our gatherings and that song is stuck in my head all week long. And I sing that song over and over because I want that truth to penetrate my heart. Now, this is great instruction, Paul says. Wisdom and godliness are linked. Wisdom and godliness are linked. 
It's not a foolish abandonment to God, but an abandonment to God that creates non-foolish life of God. It gives you wisdom. And in that wisdom, we become aware of God's moving in our lives. God's always working around us. Do you know that? And our wisdom, we start spot God moving. We start seeing him and he prompts us in our lives. Thoughts that move us towards compassion and goodness and patience and kindness and faithfulness and self-control. Those are all from the Holy Spirit that he moves in our heart and show us. And there, there are times when we want to have those movements in our heart, but they're just not there. I was driving on I-35 yesterday and I had none of these thoughts yesterday. I had all the other negative thoughts. But what I want to do is let my life line up with my words about God and my promptings from God. And how can I let my life line up with my word, with the word from God, if I don't know the word of God? Or my heart is, is stale and stagnant to his word. I need to be open to him. I don't need to be instructed for knowledge. I need to be instructed for life. And then he says, don't be drunk with wine. Duh. Now, I'm not just being a Baptist here, and I'm not going to talk about abstinence. That's between you and Jesus. But I do want to tell you this. I want you to listen to me. And every one of you is a vast reservoir of stupid. And alcohol brings it to the surface. I saw a T-shirt in Bucky's the other day. Bucky's is the most fabulous place in the world. I walk today where Bucky walked. It's awesome. I saw a shirt that said, hold my beer and watch this. <laughs> Something stupid's about to happen. I almost bought it for my wife. She wouldn't wear it, but it'd be really funny if you saw Tara that shirt. Hold my beer and watch this. <laughs> I wouldn't survive. So what I need to learn is to shift my focus away from intoxication to being filled with the spirit and then be thankful and full of praise and full of grace. In other words, I've got to kill stupid in my life. One of the things that we have in our life that is ultimately stupid, stupider than being drunk, is being negative and critical. Being negative and critical about your family or future or the body of Christ or leaders is nothing. It's just destructive. While we're in, Asia, well, we're in Israel, Israel is actually on the continent of Asia. They have a bird there called the Asian crow. And it's a beautiful bird. It's black wings with a gray body. Looks like he has a little suit. He's beautiful. But that rascal is a scavenger. And he's a pain to everybody around. In Canada, they had a similar bird called the magpie. It was black with white. It looked like it had a tuxedo on. Gorgeous bird, but a nuisance bird. Now, these Asian crows, they're very, very smart, very smart. In fact, one one would land on the street and the other one would position itself in the, air, in the tree as a watch person. That's what he would do. And when an automobile would come, the other one would tree go, cars, cars, cars. <laughs> that is a great joke. You guys miss that. Okay, I say all this to say this. You've got crows in your life, negativity, impurity, drunkenness. You got to kill them. I had a friend of mine in Canada. He set up a magpie trap. He trapped those birds and drowned them. Now you couldn't tell the animal control people, it's their war. You know how it is. I thought he might eat them. That'd be gross. But we literally have to say, what are the crows in my life that are scavenging the goodness of God from me? Those Asian crows were big. 
I think there's some bigger, pretty big Texas crows too. They're not as pretty, but they sure are as negative. This is wise living. Now let me finish this with this. The last pathway is the pathway of submission. Paul was talking to a culture that would not submit, period, ever. And for Christ to die on a cross, was, that, would, that was just, what? That was the ultimate submission. Why would he do that? So he could save us. And as Paul unpacked the theology of salvation to the church at Ephesus, they went, oh, oh, my life is hopeless. My relationships are hopeless. And this Christ gives me hope. And they changed the world. They changed the world. And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, as this gets to the heart of the hope God has for us, life is not about you. Life is about Jesus and focused on him. And then when I focus on Christ and I submit to my Christ, then I can find the riches of relationships through mutual submission. I can submit to Tara. I can submit to my kids. I can submit to you. I don't have to be the hot shot. I can be the servant. Why? Why do I say that? Because Jesus came to serve, not to be served, to give his life a ransom for many. And that's the way my life should be. This word submission means to fall under order. It's hupotasso in Greek. It means to fall under order. That means this, that Jesus is Lord, and as Lord, he served, therefore I serve. I serve my wife. I serve my kids. Tara then serves and submits to me, and our kids obey us. What Paul was saying, your life should be marked by service and submission, not by rebellion and self-elevation. This crazy talk. Crazy. You would never do this in Paul's day, but this attitude, it changed the world. Let me tell you how it did. Because of this attitude, education sprung up to educate children. Perversion went down. Do you know the Greek culture? Now listen to this. The Greek culture said the highest form of love is a man to a boy. We don't talk about that. Jesus changed that. He changed that. It brought about hospitals. Christians started caring for the sick. They started assisting the poor. When the Roman world would have a baby that was not the right sex or was some deformed nature, they would set them on the hillside to die. And the Christians started orphanages and scooping up these little children and raising them. Why do you think it's Christ-likeness we say we're pro-life? Because Christ is pro-life. Disaster relief. It became the normative for Christians to be the ones when a plague would hit a city, the Romans would run away and the Christians would run in. Because Christ changes everything. Why do you think this church has laid aside its resources and its talents and poured life in to Refugio and the areas devastated by the hurricane because we are like Christ. When disaster strikes, Jesus steps in. It is amazing. Amazing. Resources that have been given to that, which we could have kept to benefit us, have gone away now to benefit others. I want to tell you something about that. You can't outgive God. 
And when you do those kind of things, God blesses us. What I've discovered is this. I've heard this passage taught in so many ways that are dishonoring, but I want to tell you next week, I'm going to teach it. Ephesians 5, 21 and following about marriage. It's going to give you hope and give you courage and give you a direction to have better marriages and better relationships. I promise you, I can't wait. So you be here next week. God has to change my selfish heart in order for me to submit to you. And when he does, and when we do, we become the hope of the world. We become the hope of the world. If then, even though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit good gifts to those who ask? To those who ask. I'm asking today. God, shift my focus. God, give me a life that's worth living in you. Shift my focus. I didn't say this in the other services, but I'm going to tell you this, other gatherings, I'm going to tell you this. The day we went to the Wailing Wall and I had your prayers for your kids in my hand and my intent was to go and to put them into the Wailing Wall. I've been there three times. As we walked into the courtyard, I just started weeping uncontrollably. I am not a crier. I, I just don't. Um, and I, I just started weeping. And I, and I know that that's, it's not, that's just a wall. But I know that people for generations have been gathering at that wall, crying out to God. And when I put those prayers for your kids at that wall, it was a holy, sacred moment. And I felt like your papa. And I felt daddy God saying, I got this. I got this. And I want to say this to you. If we will love each other, if we will love Jesus, we will change the world through the power of the gospel. All for Jesus. I want that focus. Don't you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what your word has said to us this morning. And I pray that we will not walk out of here the same, but we will be eternally changed by the power of your gospel, the power of your truth. Father, I sense that there's people in this room that have never trusted you as Savior. They've been churchified, but not sanctified. They're churchianity, but not Christianity. God, I pray that today they will call upon your name and be saved. Folks, if that's you and you know that's you, you know you need Jesus. You feel the Holy Spirit working in your heart right now. I would invite you to pray with me this prayer. Very simply, Jesus, I'm yours. I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. Be my savior. I'm gonna live for you. If you just prayed that with me, then welcome to the family of God. In a moment, Scott's going to come and give you instructions about next steps. Some of you here, you're spiritual orphans. You need a church family. Well, we're uh, open for adoption today as God will add you and allow you to be a part. Again, Scott will come with next steps instructions. 
Some of you are like me and you just need to rededicate yourself to Jesus. Will you whisper, Jesus, I'm yours? Jesus, I'm yours. And together, let's be the hope of the world. All for King Jesus, the shifted focus for a glorious Savior. Jesus, thank you that we don't have to go through the motions of attending church, but we can live the dynamic level of being the church, those who've called upon your name. We love you and we pray and commit ourselves to you in your strong name. Amen.